following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, February 6, 2022, on the basis of Luke chapter 4, verses 38 through 44. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. There was a Christian author by the name of A.W. Tozer who once wrote... What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. In other words, it's not where you're from. It's not what you do. It's not the number of children or the types of pets that you have in your house. Instead, it's what comes into your mind when you think about God. Now, whether or not you agree with that sentiment, let me ask you, what comes into your mind when you think about God? What's the very first thing? What's right at the top of the list? Is it his love, his mercy, his forgiveness for sinners? Is it his power, his protection, and his care that he provides to us? Is it his faithfulness to his promises and the reliability of everything that he says to us in his word? Of course, all good things to think about when we think about God. But maybe there's one thing about God that doesn't pop into our minds as often as it should. And I'm talking about something known as God's aseity. That's A-S-E-I-T-Y, aseity. It's kind of a fancy word, but even the, the concept that that word represents is one that is very easy for us to overlook. It simply means that God is unbound. God is completely independent and self-sufficient. God has no limits. God has no constraints. And that's not just some sort of incidental minor characteristic of who God is. In fact, one time when God appeared to Moses in that burning bush, in that place, on that place in the Bible known as Mount Horeb, and Moses asked God, what is your name? What should we call you? God gave Moses a name that really highlighted his aseity. God said, I am who I am, independent, without limit, unbound, without constraint. Well, not only does that define in a very big way who God is, Perhaps that is also one of the things that defines us, that makes us so very different from God. We are not unbound. We are not unlimited. We are not self-sufficient. In fact, in many ways, our life is defined by the constraints that are upon us and around us at all times. And that's probably the part of us that we like the least. In fact, this is another sermon for another day, but people have been rebelling against those constraints, really going all the way back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and continuing to this very day. What that means, however, is that if someone really wants to grab people's attention, if someone wants to turn people's heads, if someone wants to gain eyeballs, probably one of the best ways that they can do that is by promising people that they can help them escape those constraints, that they can take human beings beyond their limits. In fact, that might seem especially important for someone who came 
to get people's attention, who came to win over people's hearts, who came to win followers to himself. In other words, for someone like Jesus. And yet today, once again, we're going to see as we continue this series called Epiphany Orientation, how Jesus takes our our natural view of things and so often he flips them upside down. It is so easy and natural for us to think that being loved is a good thing, that being popular is a worthy goal in and of itself. But today we're going to see just the opposite from Jesus. We're going to see Jesus presented with this opportunity for immense popularity, and yet we're going to see him walk away from it. Why? Because Jesus came for a much more important reason than simply to be liked. As we look at these verses from Luke chapter 4 this morning, we're going to see that if he wanted to, Jesus could have been more popular than Jesus. The verses that are in front of us this morning follow very closely on the heels of the ones that we looked at last week. Jesus had been at the synagogue in Nazareth, his own hometown. But what he had said there made people so upset that they were ready to throw him off a cliff. And so from there, Jesus went from Nazareth to a town called Capernaum. In Capernaum, Luke tells us that Jesus met all kinds of people who, in one way or another, were under constraints. So once again, on the Sabbath day, Jesus went to the synagogue. Jesus went to church. And at church, he encountered someone who was possessed by an evil spirit, by a demon. That afternoon, after church was over, Jesus went to the home of his disciple, Peter. And it was Peter's mother-in-law who was constrained, who was gripped by a severe high fever. That evening, people from Capernaum brought all kinds of people, all kinds of their friends to come to Jesus. People with all kinds of illnesses and infirmities, including more people who were possessed by demons. Many people with many different afflictions, and yet in one way or another, they were all constrained. And one thing that the gospel writer Luke makes very clear is that Jesus was not. Over and over again, one by one, Jesus healed them. And not by performing surgery, not with physical therapy, not with prescription medication. Instead, he healed them simply by speaking to whatever it was that was constraining them and ordering it to let them go. Think about that for a second. I have a hard enough time getting my children and my family dog to listen to the words that come out of my mouth. Jesus was able to speak to diseases and hostile, hell-bound demons. And when he told them to leave, they had no choice but to listen. It's no wonder that the people in Capernaum, unlike those people in Nazareth, really loved Jesus and wanted him to stay. In fact, the very next morning, when it became obvious that Jesus was ready to move on to the next place, Luke tells us that they tried to hold on to Jesus. In fact, the impression is given that they they somehow tried to physically restrain him. Can you imagine that? This man could order demons and diseases to leave, and they thought they could control him. When they saw the possibility that Jesus could help them escape from all of their constraints, it's no wonder they loved him so much. Well, if Jesus had come to this earth 
simply looking for nothing more than a blueprint for success, seems here he had it, right? Again, out of all the ways that, that we are defined as human beings, the constraints that define us is probably the way in which we are most unlike the God who is unconstrained. We are constrained by just about everything, right? We are constrained by time, by space. We are constrained by the limits of the human body that God has given us and the very physical world that God has given us to live in. We are constrained by all of the effects of sin that have affected that human body and that physical world. We're constrained by disease and disability, by infirmity and old age. We're constrained by things like greed and jealousy and laziness and pride. We're constrained in so many different ways. And so once again, if someone really wants to get our attention, if somebody really wants to be popular, one of the easiest things they can do, maybe, maybe something they almost have to do, is promise us that they can help us escape those constraints. So a, a big tech company, for example, helps us connect with people beyond just the people that are around us, right? We can connect and we can communicate with people all over the world. Doctors and drug companies hold before us the vision of a world where once and for all, every disease will be cured. Politicians, ranging all the way from the local school board all the way up to the halls of Congress, promise us that if, as long as we vote for them, whatever, thing, whatever may be holding us back or holding our children back, they can make that problem go away. In fact, imagine if someone tried to do the opposite. If someone ran for political office on this platform, if they came right out and said, you know, most of the problems in our world, most of the problems in your life cannot be solved. And even if they can be solved, they probably need to be solved by you. If you're looking to me to help, you're probably going to be disappointed. Vote for Bauer in 2022, right? It would be an utter disaster if someone ran on that message. And here you have Jesus, who is actually able to deliver what every tech company, every drug company, every politician would love to be able to deliver. He is completely without constraint. He is fully capable of helping us escape every constraint. And so he had he come to do that very thing, there's no doubt people would absolutely love him. But there's also no doubt, as we read on in these verses, that Jesus came for a much different purpose. When the next day breaks and the people want nothing more than to hang on to Jesus and keep him from going anywhere else, here's what Jesus says to them. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that is why I was sent. So Jesus came to be a promoter. Jesus came to be a campaign manager for. Jesus came to be the spokesperson of a completely different kind of kingdom, the kingdom of God, a kingdom that is not defined by time or by space, and therefore a kingdom whose goal is not to help us escape the limitations of time and space. In fact, and I'm 
going to be brief here so that I don't steal too much of Vicar's thunder for next Sunday. Not only is it not the goal of the kingdom of God to help us escape all of our constraints, it's actually the goal of the kingdom of God to lead us to embrace those constraints. To realize that what seem to be curses are actually blessings. That what appears to be weakness is actually strength. That what appears to be poverty is actually true wealth. That what appears to be hunger is actually satisfaction. And yes, that what even appears to be death is actually life. Jesus came to be a promoter of, an evangelist for, a cheerleader for that kingdom. And so maybe it's no surprise that Jesus isn't more popular. And I'm not just talking about among people out there. I'm, I'm talking about among us who are in here. I don't think it comes as any surprise when I tell you that Jesus exists without constraint, that he can do absolutely anything that he wants, including help you escape everything that constrains you. And yet I also think that you've been around the block enough to know that that is not the promise of the Christian faith. That is not what you hear Jesus saying to you when you turn to him in his word. He does not offer you that promise. Instead, he offers you something very different. And so maybe that's why he's not quite as popular as he otherwise could be. Maybe that's why our reaction to Jesus isn't always as intense as the reaction of these people. Maybe it's why we don't always do everything that we can to hold on to Jesus, to make sure that we have him each and every day in our lives and in the lives of our loved ones too. Maybe that's why we don't cling to Jesus so very tightly that no lie of the devil and no distraction of the world can possibly take him away. If Jesus had come simply to help us escape all of our constraints, there's no doubt he could have been more popular than he actually is. And yet before we write Jesus off completely, we need to pay very close attention to just one word in that important statement that he made. In response to all of this popularity, Jesus said to those people, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Now hold on just a second. I thought Jesus existed beyond all constraint. And now he's saying that, that he's sort of obligated to do something? How does that work? This is the one who had said to the diseases and the demons, you must do this, you must do that. But now Jesus is saying, I must do something? Yes, the very same one who exists completely free from all constraint, himself embraced constraint. He willingly constrained himself to the work of our salvation and all of the constraints that came along with it. Jesus demonstrated his strength in weakness. Jesus acquired true wealth through poverty. And yes, Jesus won true and everlasting life through death. That's why Jesus also walked away from popularity to proclaim the message that people needed to hear. 
Had Jesus simply come to help us escape all of our constraints, there's no doubt people would love him. But people should love Jesus even more because he came to embrace those constraints for us. And perhaps that would have been a really good answer to give to John Lennon back in 1966. Maybe you're aware of this, but back in 1966, right at the very height of the Beatles' popularity, John Lennon famously said in an interview, we're more popular than Jesus now. Now, as I've seen and heard those words over the years, my natural instinct is to right away dispute the claim that John Lennon was making, to say there's no way the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. But I think it's even better not just to dispute the claim, but to dispute the assumptions on which that claim rests. The assumption that popularity is the goal in the first place. The assumption that popularity is a measure of success. Who cares whether or not the Beatles were more popular than Jesus? Because Jesus could have been more popular than Jesus had he really wanted to. The one who is absolutely free from all constraints could have come to just help us escape all of ours and people would love him without end. But instead, Jesus came to embrace those constraints for us. And so friends, know this. While we may be able to say that Jesus could have been more popular than Jesus, we can also say Jesus could not have loved us more than Jesus. Jesus could not be merciful to us more than Jesus. Jesus could not forgive us or be committed to us or be faithful to his promises and reliable in all that he says more than Jesus. And how do we know? Well, it's all wrapped up in that attribute of his known as his aseity. He can do whatever he, want, he, whatever he wants. He is absolutely free from constraint, and yet he willingly constrained himself for us. Amen. Amen.